Father Mike, he mentioned a few things, but he left out one thing. Last summer, we had summer cornhole standings in the rectory. And I don't know if you threw this sheet away, but it still might be in the rectory. And Father Mike, let's just say he lost more than the one. So, Father, it's an honor to be here. I'm so glad you invited me back. I am surprised, based on the cornhole standings, that you invited me back. But it's good to be here. I look around and it's dark, but I still see familiar faces. Um, it's so good to see you. Um, I'm glad you're here tonight. And more importantly, our Lord is glad that you're here tonight. Because tonight is about encountering Jesus. We talk about our mission statement at Sacred Heart being here last summer encounter Jesus and become missionary disciples. So it's my prayer tonight that whatever words I say may be a fruit to you. And when the Lord is presented to us in the Eucharist, may he speak to your hearts tonight. Let's begin in prayer. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Lord, we come before you tonight as your sons and daughters, ready to receive whatever it is you want us to receive, Lord. Be in our hearts and our minds. And as distractions come, Lord, let your presence be known in those distractions. Let your presence be known throughout this night. And we entrust all of our lives to the mantle of our Blessed Mother as we pray. Hail Mary, full of grace. The Lord is with thee. Blessed are thou. Most sacred heart of Jesus, in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. So one of my heroes growing up was uh, a guy you may know, his name is St. John Paul II. Some of you may have grown up when he was Pope, and uh, I know for me to see his presence was always really powerful. And when John Paul II was elected Pope, he had an inaugural message. He was supposed to give a message to the whole world. Like this is the leader of the church. And I often thought, you know, if I could give one message to the world, what would I say? And for you all tonight, if you could give one message to the world, you don't have to say it out loud because I'm sure it's colorful. What would you say to the world? John Paul II said, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is a man who, if you know about his life, saw most of his family die before he was 20 years old. This is a man who grew up in communism and Nazi oppression. He saw his friends be taken by authorities. This is a man who suffered greatly during his life. And as he stands before the world, he says, do not be afraid. And I think, I ask myself, where did this trust come from for St. John Paul II? And I think his trust came in his relationship with the Lord. Because they would often ask St. John Paul II, they would say, hey, Holy Father, how do you pray? And he would smile and he would say, ask the Holy Spirit. What John Paul was saying was, what everybody thinks is that the spirit of adoption that he prayed with is the same spirit that we're given. You know, Romans, the letter to the Romans talks about you receive the spirit of adoption, which cries out, Abba, Father. And we know that colloquial term, Abba, is more personal. It means dad. 
That same spirit that John Paul II prayed in is the same spirit that's given to you. And it's the same spirit the Lord invites you to invoke tonight as you meet him in the Eucharist. And so we can often think that St. John Paul II did many great things in his life. But the greatest thing about him was was he was secure in his identity. He knew who he was in front of the Father. He was a beloved son of God the Father. He said this often. And for us, being baptized into the life of Christ, we too are beloved sons and daughters of God the Father. That's an identity that we never earn. We only receive. And John Paul II knew this very well. And Jesus shows us this throughout his life. We see in Mark's gospel from the beginning to the end, the beginning of the gospel says, the beginning of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And then at the end of the gospel, we hear the Roman centurion in a moment of conversion. He says, truly, this was the Son of God. Jesus is infatuated with his relationship with his Father. He is the eternal Son. He lives in constant intimacy with his Father. And our sacred authors want us to put ourselves in the spot of Jesus because in our baptism, we've been brought into that same relationship. We're able to, to cry out, Abba, Father. Jesus shows us this. He calls on his Father in many ways. When he raises Lazarus from the dead, he says, Father, I thank you for hearing me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, in his passion, he says, Abba, Father, with you all things are possible. And on the cross, on his moment when he's saving the world, he says, Father, the hour has come. Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. Jesus is infatuated with his Father. And because this is Jesus' deepest identity that he lives out of being the Son of God, we know that it's the most attacked identity by the enemy. We see in the gospel Satan telling Jesus in the desert, if you are the Son of God, prove it. Throw yourself down. The angels will take care of you. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread. If you are the Son of God, prove your identity. Prove that you are the Son. And we see as Jesus is on the cross, he has this crowd at the crucifixion saying, if you're, if you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. Prove yourself. Prove it. Show us. And then the chief priests and the scribes and the Pharisees, they say, he saved others. He can't save himself. Let God deliver him because he said, I am the Son of God. And so, too, we see that in our lives, these lies are spoken into us by the enemy. He will get us to believe that our identity is something that we earn, but our identity is always something that's received because we know the best things in life are not achieved. The best things in life are received. The best things in life are not achieved. The best things in life are received. This is the place where the Lord wants to encounter us in the truthfulness of who we are and who we belong to. And we see in the gospels over and over again that Jesus goes back to his father. He goes back to being the eternal son. And we too share in this relationship because we know that this primary identity speaks the language of this message. It's good that you exist. You're seen, you're heard, and you're loved. It's good that you exist. 
You're seen, you're heard, and you're loved. This is the message that Jesus lived out of. He was constantly seen by his father. He knew he was constantly heard by his father. And he knew that he was constantly loved by his father. So too we, in whatever area we find our life in, we live out of this dynamic relationship with the father. Because I've heard it said once before like this, only the author of your life has the authority to tell you who you are. Only the author of your life has the authority to tell you who you are. And we know that for us, it's really tough because we have this desire to be great. We have this desire to use our talents and our gifts. And I look around in the congregation, I remember my time at Sacred Heart, seeing so many of you come from successful backgrounds, coming from successful lives. And I think that our Lord wants to continually remind us, like, look, those gifts are great. And those are put at the service of your family, of the church, and many areas of your life. But the primary identity I want you to claim is your beloved sonship, is being a beloved daughter. That's where I love you. I don't love you in your gifts. Your gifts are meant for others. They're meant for building up the kingdom. I love you not why, what you can produce. I love you because you're you. And we see that the disciples struggled with this. They struggled to be present to Jesus, to be present to his message. And so we see in the gospels that Jesus shows them what it truly means to be great. Because we can look around and say, hey, we all have desires to do great things. Like greatness is written within us. You see many of the athletes in the world, the celebrities, many people in your life, we aspire to do great things. And Jesus reminds them, we go to the gospel store, you may have heard this before. They come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Like in the hall of fame of saints, who is the greatest? We have the argument all the time, right? MJ, LeBron, we're always arguing about who's the greatest. Our Lord steps in, and what does he do? He takes a child and puts it in their midst, and he says, unless you become like this child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus redefines what it means to be great. Jesus shows what true greatness is. True greatness exists in the image of a child. How paradoxical is that to our current society? The image of a child. And we know that true greatness in this image of a child is not in an ability, because children, what do they produce? Mothers and fathers. They produce poop and snot, basically. <laughs> really, I mean, that's what they can produce. And so if Jesus says greatness is in being a child, greatness is not an ability. Greatness is an identity. Greatness is not in an ability. True greatness is in an identity. Jesus shows us this in saying, unless you become like this child. And going back to our saint I mentioned earlier, people would say when they watched St. John Paul II pray, they'd say he looked like a child. Like he was just full of joy, smiling, just looking at the Lord in Eucharistic adoration because he was a son who was in the presence of his father. That's prayer. God's sons and daughters 
being in the presence of their father. That's it. Oftentimes we think of prayer as a performance. Like, man, I gotta have all the right words. I gotta have every, every rosary bead hit on. I gotta do all this, this, this. We have this checklist of prayers. But Jesus reminds us, become like this child. Come before your father just to be with him. This is what it means to truly be great. And we know that greatness is childlike, but greatness in this identity, when we look at children, we're like, okay, they don't produce very much, so what do they do well? What do children do well? I would suggest that children sleep very well. And you're like, why would you even say that? Because sleep is a fruit of trust. How often in your life and in my life, especially recently, oof, going from my diaconal internship to seminary, it's been crazy. I haven't slept well because I haven't trusted that the Father is with me. Sleep is a fruit of trust. And children do this so well. And who else does this well? Jesus. If you remember that story there in the boat, right? The winds are hitting the boat, the storm's gone. And what does the gospel say? He's on a sleep in the boat, on a cushion. He's like sleeping while all of this, while gale force winds are happening. The disciples are like, Jesus, do you not care that we're perishing? I mean, what? And what does he do? He calms the storm. And he says, why are you afraid? Do you not have faith? Why are you afraid? Look how I sleep. Look at my trust. Haven't I showed you this is what I want for you? This is how to trust? And so we see that Jesus in that gospel story is saying he's the Lord of the past, the present, and the future. And we know that when we go to prayer, what tends to come up? Our past and our future. What do we have the hardest time with? Being present. I know for me, as soon as I step in a place to pray, the past comes up, it's like I'm being dragged in the past and then I'm getting pulled into the future. And it's so hard to keep my feet planted on the ground. And Jesus is saying, trust, trust in me. Because we can look at the past, present, and future, and all those are good. Oftentimes think about whenever you played sports. Like when I played sports, we'd have to watch game film on the opponent. And so during a week of preparation, we'd watch our past performance in the game to learn from our mistakes. Then we'd look at the opponent that's coming up later in the week. We'd look to the future to prepare for the opponent. But when it came time for the game, what was most important was being present to the game. We couldn't think about the mistakes we made in the past. It was done. And we couldn't think about what the outcome of the game was gonna be. All we could do was be present, was to live in the moment. And this is what Jesus wants to offer us, to be present to him because he's present to us. And Jesus knew that we would struggle being present. We go back to the Gospels. Jesus is praying to his Father. He's, you can imagine in this moment of prayer where he's looking up to his Father in constant dialogue. And the disciples are watching him and they're like, man, something within me is like, I want to pray like that. Like, wow, what is he doing? And as soon as Jesus finishes praying, what do they say? 
Lord, teach us to pray. The disciples show this desire for prayer. You know, prayer is nothing other than an increase in desire for God. Like you were meant to pray. You're made in his image and likeness. And the disciples show us this desire to pray. Lord, teach us to pray. Give us the perfect prayer. Lord, if there was one prayer you could give us, give us that perfect prayer. And the Lord says, okay, our Father, not my Father, our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Listen to this. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us yesterday's bread. Give us tomorrow's bread. Give us this day our daily bread. The Lord wants nothing more than to be present to you. The perfect prayer he gives his disciples is a prayer of the present moment a prayer of trust. This is what the Lord desires for us. And how beautiful it is tonight in adoration, we get to be present to Jesus. What Jesus asks of us tonight is to be present to his real presence. We call the Eucharist the real presence of Jesus because the real presence is meant to be felt by us who are present to him. And we may say, it's really hard to be present, you know? And I would say, when I prayed about this, I kind of thought about the idea of grace. We know that grace, grace can only exist for us in the present moment. Like, we can't receive the graces that we thought we should have received or the graces we think we will receive. We can only receive in the present moment. And so, the opportunity to receive grace is a present reality. And so, God, in the Eucharist, he takes the best of our past and the best of our future and makes it present to us. He takes the best of our past and the Paschal mystery, the passion, death, and resurrection of our Lord, the best of our future, the kingdom to come, and he brings it sacramentally present to us. He wants to do the same for your life. He wants you to sit here tonight and he does the heavy lifting. When you look at Jesus in adoration, he takes all of your past. He takes all of your hopes, dreams, and your future, and he brings it to the present moment. He meets you where you are. This is what it means to do Eucharistic adoration. When we look at the Lord, we grow in trust. Oftentimes we can say, trust is tough. And I'm first to admit, like I can say all day long, Jesus, I trust in you. Jesus, I trust in you. But when it comes to do it, I'm not very good at it. I'm not good at trusting. Because trust is not something that we will on our own. Trust is not some aspect of human effort that we put forth. Trust is a fruit of looking at Jesus. Trust is a fruit of adoring our Lord. That's where trust bears fruit. It's not up to us. It's simply looking at him because he wants to look at us.
And in looking at us, that's where trust is born. It's never going to be about our human effort to continually try to trust. Now, there will be moments when we try to trust where we'll feel powerless. And I think this idea of feeling powerless is actually not a bad thing. When we feel our weakness, we feel what it means to be human. Because to be human is to be lacking. And look, I'm a perfectionist. I'm like, I struggle deeply with trying to have it all together, trying to make sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted. It's been a struggle my whole life. But let me offer this word of encouragement to you. It's human nature not to be perfect, like to have wrinkles, to make a B. Like, you know, like today, I, I had to pass this dude on, you know, on the interstate and I wasn't going to exactly the speed limit, right? Like, it's, it's human nature to be lacking because when we feel powerless, it creates a space for God. When we feel that poverty, when we feel that sense of like, Lord, I'm powerless, but you're not. He wants to meet us in that space. That's him creating space in your heart where he can go in and love you right there. And so Jesus, God who became man in the person of Jesus, knows what it's like to be human. He's felt all of our emotions. He gets us. A story I like to, to tell about this to highlight this point, there was a little boy who went to the pet store to buy a dog with his mom. And this little boy goes, he's looking at all the dogs, and he sees the dogs, but he sees one dog that's lagging behind that kind of has a crippled leg, and it's away from the rest of the dogs. And the little boy asks the store owner, hey, what's up with that dog? And the store owner says, look, his leg's crippled, he doesn't walk very well. Um, you're gonna wanna probably pick some of these dogs because they'll probably live a little bit longer, they'll have a better quality of life. And the little boy says, I'll take that dog. He points to the dog with the crippled leg. The owner's like, I, I don't think you understand what I'm saying, like, this is, you're not gonna want that dog, like, it's, it's gonna be tough. And the little boy pulls up his right pant leg and there's a leg brace on his leg. And he says, this dog will get me. I don't walk very good either. This is God becoming man. He meets us in those deepest moments of powerlessness where we feel crippled. We feel like we cannot take one more step. This is what adoration offers us. Jesus' real presence and the invitation to be present to his real presence. So I offer you tonight the opportunity to reclaim your identity because far too often the lies are thrown at us. But your identity is something you never earn. You always receive. And prayer is the perfect place to reclaim this identity as a son and a daughter someone who delights to be in their father's presence. And maybe there are memories in your life that will come up as you're present to the Lord. I know for me, um, just to share with you, the Lord really spoke to me one time in prayer and he used the memory that I had. Um, so years ago, I had this memory one time when I was praying 
And I was in the yard, I was about eight years old, and I was throwing the football with my dad. It was like a Sunday afternoon. And I'm running, you know, the, I'm running a little hook route, I'm running a post, I'm running the go. I was a football coach, so you probably don't get these terminology, but. But then, I run this little out route. He throws the ball and I catch it. I run back to him and I start crying. Like, I just start crying. And my dad's like, uh, he's like, son, uh, okay. You know, he's kind of like, pass me, you know, like, okay, it's gonna be all right. And I couldn't tell him what was going on. I was just crying. And so, in that moment of prayer, years later, the Lord showed me, this is what it means to pray. To be in the presence of your father. To delight to be in his presence. To behold him and to be held by him. And so tonight, as we adore our Lord, I'd invite you to continually make those acts of trust. Trust can only exist in the present moment. And trust for us is always a cooperation with grace. We don't will it ourselves. It's nothing that we have to make by human effort. It's a fruit of just looking at Jesus. And so for me, one thing that's been really powerful in my life is, Jesus, I trust in you. And I think to flip that on its head, the question that I pose for us tonight, is Jesus worthy of our trust? Is Jesus worthy of our trust? As we move into adoration, there's a prayer that I came across by a sister. Her name's Sister Faustina Maria. She's from the Sisters of Life. And she created this litany of trust. This litany of trust was a fruit of her prayer. And for me, it's been something that's been really powerful for me. As I've prayed with it, there have been certain litanies throughout the prayer that have really struck me that have really allowed me to go deeper into moments where I lack trust and where the Lord wants to meet me in that trust. And so what I'd like to do now before we move into adoration is to go through this litany with you. And every litany like we've done before has a response. And I invite you, if you choose to respond, you may do so, but I will certainly respond on your behalf as well. And so we'll go through this litany and I invite you, if one of these litanies strike your heart, it's because the Lord is present to you. He wants to say something to you tonight. From the belief that I have to earn your love, deliver me, Jesus from the fear that I am unlovable, from the false security that I have what it takes, from the fear that trusting you will leave me more destitute, from all suspicion of your words and promises, from the rebellion against childlike dependency on you, from refusals and reluctances in accepting your will, from anxiety about the future, from resentment or excessive preoccupation with the past, 
restless self-seeking in the present moment. From disbelief in your love and presence. From the fear of being asked to give more than I have. From the belief that my life has no meaning or worth. From the fear of what love demands. From discouragement. That you are continually holding me, sustaining me, loving me. your love goes deeper than my sins and failings and transforms me. That not knowing what tomorrow brings is an invitation to lean on you. That you are with me in my suffering. That my suffering united to your own will bear fruit in this life and the next. that you will not leave me orphaned, that you are present in your church, that your plan is better than anything else, that you always hear me and in your goodness always respond to me, that you give me the grace to accept forgiveness and to forgive others. That you give me all the strength I need for what is asked. That my life is a gift. That you will teach me to trust you.